Good evening. Welcome to the Legal Legal Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Each year, hundreds of North Carolinians lose their ability to drive due to their license being suspended because they do not have the financial resources to pay the fines and fees related to the traffic ticket. In 2018, the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and other advocacy groups filed a class action lawsuit against North Carolina, arguing that the suspension of driver's licenses, where there was an inability to pay, created cycles of debt, traffic violations, and poverty, and that this violated the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. A few weeks ago, a federal court approved a settlement agreement in this case. The settlement requires the North Carolina DMV to notify thousands of residents of their right to demonstrate that they couldn't pay their tickets and other financial penalties that led to their suspension of their driver's license and to request that their license be restored. On the show, we'll talk about this case and the recent settlement. We are delighted to have joining us in this discussion an NCCU law alum, Michelle Delgado, who is a staff attorney with the ACLU of North Carolina. Attorney Delgado, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so we're going to start with you share a little bit about your background and how you came to work for the ACLU. Um, okay. Uh, well, I will start with my education. I am a double HBCU grad. I attended North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University for undergrad, and then I received my law degree from North Carolina Central University School of Law. Um, after graduating law school and passing the North Carolina bar, uh, I began my legal career working at the uh, Public Defender's Office in Durham County, um, where I practiced criminal defense. And I did that for three years and then moved on to working for the federal government under the Department of U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where I worked as an attorney advisor in Miami, Florida. Um, I was lucky to get to receive an opportunity to work for the ACLU of North Carolina. And I recently returned here to come back to North Carolina my second home and um, practice constitutional law and civil rights law with this wonderful group. And I'm very happy to be here and be a part of this settlement agreement. Excellent. And before we dive into the case, can you talk about the type of work that the ACLU North Carolina does? Um, the ACLU of North Carolina is a nonprofit organization that's focused on protecting the constitutional rights of all. And specifically for our affiliation, we're focused on North Carolinians and their constitutional rights. And it can range from a variety of areas um, from you know, criminal justice to voting rights, 
um, to something such as you know, your rights to receive a hearing when, it re when it's related to a traffic fine, like this case. Well, how, how is it that the uh, ACLU became interested in dealing with the uh, situation of uh, driver's license uh, restoration? Um, well, we learned of the situation where tens of thousands of North Carolinians were being revoked for failure to pay fines, fees, and other court costs. And we believe that, you know, the driving privilege is very essential to supporting yourself and your families. Um, we learned that a lot of North Carolinians were being caught up in a vicious cycle of, you know, failure to pay fine, getting their license revoked, and just building up lots of debt. Um, we became very concerned and interested in how we can help everyone in this state. And that's what led to our discovery of some of these constitutional violations. So this has been going on for, for quite a while. Can you share your thoughts on why it, you know, 2018, right, the lawsuit was filed, why it took so long for legal action to be taken? If you have any thoughts on that. Um, I'm not sure why it took so long. I believe it's one of those scenarios where people feel like something wrong is occurring here and, you know, there's an issue. But I think it took a group coming together and really diving into how can we fix this? Although it's a problem that's been ongoing and everyone's aware, what can we do specifically to address this issue that has been brushed off for so long? So I believe that's what took so long. Well, typically this is an issue kind of focusing on uh, uh, a person's uh, inability to, uh, to pay. How do you draw the distinctions between those people who are uh, unwilling to pay and those who are simply unable uh, to pay? And then once that distinction is drawn, then how does that create uh, a, a constitutional issue? Well, that's why this, this right to this special hearing is important. That hearing is supposed to give people the opportunity to explain their financial circumstance so that way a determination can be made on whether they, do they have the ability to pay or are they choosing not to pay? Because there is a distinction. I, th I believe the issue was that no one knew that um, they could ask for this hearing and plead their case in front of a judge. And um, when we became aware of this issue, we realized there were thousands and thousands of North Carolinians that weren't aware of this hearing. And they did actually fall into the category of possibly being able to prove that they just do not have the ability to pay. What's the, the impact of the uh, revocation of a uh, person's uh, driver's license? Um, the impact is very substantial. Um, if you don't have your driver's license, you're not really able to support yourself and your families. Um, think about the small but major parts of your life, driving to work, um, driving your kids to school, driving to doctor's appointments, going to the pharmacy to receive um, medication. These are all very important parts of everyone's day as well as their family's day. And if, you, if your license is revoked, you're unable to do those important events in your life and to take care of yourself and your family.
Well, along with that, did you have any uh, statistics that spoke to the uh, number of people who were rearrested uh, because they were unable to uh, obtain uh, their license and then they were then driving without uh, license and thereby uh, exacerbating the uh, financial and legal situation that uh, they had, uh, that they were under. I do not have the specific statistics on hand. Um, I do know that that number is very high. And that was shown when, um, when we advertised the proposed settlement, we had a lot of class members of the public respond to that in an email. And we received hundreds of emails and support in describing that exact scenario where they were rearrested or in this cycle of getting revoked and receiving more debt, more tickets. So we know that the statistics would support, I just do not have that specific number on hand right now. And can you talk about, um, so first you mentioned that you had to advertise a settlement. Why was that necessary as part of this case and the court approving the settlement? Um, that was necessary because this, this turned into a class action lawsuit. And with the class action lawsuit, it's important for the judge to determine that a proposed settlement is fair to all class members, not just the class representatives. And in our scenario, our class representatives represented tens of thousands of North Carolinians. So um, we had to advertise what the proposed settlement would be to see if, if people from the public that would be eligible in this class objected to what we were planning to agree to. Um, we wanted to give everyone the opportunity to be heard and object or comment on the proposed settlement since it will affect them. Um, and they do have that right to speak up. Um, that was also addressed at the fairness hearing that we had with the judge. The judge heard um, you know, how we advertised um, in what areas, how many responses did we receive. And with all that information, the judge made their decision on whether to approve the settlement. And thankfully for us, the judge did approve the settlement and we're very happy and thankful to the court. Well, you know, some of our uh, audience members may not understand the uh, impact of a uh, class action, but can you kind of explain what is a class action and what is it that uh, you need to establish in order for uh, the, uh, a, a class of individuals to be certified? Right. So with the class action lawsuit, um, typically there's several class representatives that are meant to represent large groups of people. And what's important is that the representative um, basically can properly represent the group at large. So if they had a um, similar experience that people can also attest to, if um, basically if they, they can fairly represent the class at large and mm -hmm. that's what the judge looks for. And why this is helpful to the public is because if this, this, if this lawsuit can help thousands of people, the court doesn't necessarily want tens of thousands of people to keep filing the same issue. So this helps with um, reserving resources and resolving an issue at large for everyone. So class, class action lawsuits are very helpful. Yeah. 
And what, was there any way for you to determine just how large the class in North Carolina was? Because North Carolina is a, is a driving state uh, that uh, in order to do anything in North Carolina, you have to be able to, uh, to drive. And as you indicated earlier, a part of this uh, driving requirement uh, uh, flows from uh, being licensed. So uh, can you talk about the number of people who were, uh, I guess, a part of this larger group that was, was driving without license or had their license uh, revoked because of their inability to pay these fines and costs? Um, the number is very large, but just to give uh, an example or estimate, um, one of the parts of the settlement agreement is that the DMV will issue a special notice to North Carolina drivers who have been revoked um, for failure to pay fine from the date of about March 2015 on forward. And just going from that date on forward, it's about 150,000 people. And mm -hmm. so while those um, drivers will receive a special notice, this, this settlement will affect more than that number because anyone who is revoked for failure to pay fine have a, has a right to this hearing. Um, whether they receive the notice or not, if they become aware of this right, they can go ahead and file that motion. So I, I would say it's above that number. Okay. Yeah, and um, you've, you've talked about this and I, and I wonder if um, folks who have not been directly affected by, you know, the, the financial repercussions of getting a traffic ticket really kind of fully understand the cycle that was emphasized in the lawsuit. Can you give us an example based on either the class representatives or some of the individuals that are included within the class action who responded to the advertisement of the settlement, like what that looked like for people specifically who found themselves in this circle of, of debt? Right. Um, well, this, this issue has affected North Carolinians who quite frankly are just not wealthy. This isn't just a low income issue. This has affected, you know, middle class, moderate income drivers as well. So essentially, if you're not wealthy, this has been an issue for thousands of people. And the way the cycle has played out is that, um, for example, one driver I'm aware of, um, he, he received a traffic fine and court costs that ended up totaling about $700. He, he is a hardworking man, but with taking care of his family and paying his bills, it turned into an issue of, do I pay the $700 ticket or do I pay rent this month? And it came down to decisions like that. And, with, and that's not a scenario that's not uncommon. Like a lot of people have to make that tough decision of paying a major bill or rent or paying the traffic fine. And most people tend to just not pay the traffic fine and have their license revoked because they do need to take care of their family. They have children at home. They can't afford to be evicted over court costs. And how it turns into a cycle for some people is that you know your driver's license is now revoked, but now I have an emergency. I need to drive to the hospital or 
I need to go to work and um, the public transportation will not get me there in time or it just doesn't go that far. I'm going to risk driving and get there, you know, so that way I don't lose my job and I can continue to pay bills. And um, then they, uh, they might risk getting another ticket. Now they have another ticket and now there's more debt, more court costs and it gets worse. And that's how the cycle can start. Okay. This is the uh, Legal Eagle Review. And uh, we thank you for being with us uh, uh, this evening as we talk with attorney uh, Michelle Delgado, uh, who is a staff attorney with the ACLU of North Carolina. And we're talking about a very serious matter that impacts uh, a lot of us, and a lot of you. Uh, and that is uh, revocation of uh, driver's license because of a person's inability to pay the uh, fees and costs associated with, uh, with some uh, driving violation. Uh, we want you to stay with us because there are a lot more that we need to talk about uh, regarding this uh, topic. And I know that you have an interest in doing it. So stay with us and we will be right back. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight. Did you know that in North Carolina, anyone who fails to appear in court to resolve a traffic ticket or fails to pay traffic or criminal court debts is subjected to an indefinite suspension of their driver's license? This can happen even if this is a person's first time failing to resolve a ticket of the sort. Because this affects citizens of the state with lower socioeconomic status who typically already have financial burdens, the suspension of their license could cause a domino effect like preventing them from being able to work or take their children to school. The American Civil Liberties Union, or ACLU, backed plaintiffs in Johnson v. Goodwin in a suit against the North Carolina Division of Motor Vehicles because of the very issues I previously discussed. The ACLU argued that this practice was an equivalent to a kind of debtor's prison that inflicts severe and debilitating societal punishment on people simply because they are poor. North Carolina routinely subjects impoverished people to indefinite revocation of their driver's license for no reason other than non-payment of fines and costs imposed for traffic offenses without ensuring ability to pay. Luckily, the parties of the suit came to a settlement. Under the terms of the settlement, the DMV will inform tens of thousands of drivers via a special notice about the process to request a state court hearing to determine if revocation of their driver's license was the result of a person's inability to pay fines, penalties, and court costs, and they may be eligible for waiver or reduction of these costs and reinstatement of their driver's license. This will greatly benefit North Carolinians and is a fantastic win for the underserved. Again, my name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review, where we are talking with Attorney Michelle Delgado. Uh, a uh, proud uh, NCCU Law School uh, who is a uh, staff attorney with the uh, North Carolina ACLU. And uh, we are discussing this evening a uh, recent uh, settlement 
that that office uh, entered into uh, involving uh, individuals uh, like many of us uh, who are driving around without driver's license because they've been revoked uh, based on our inability to pay the uh, fees and fines and costs associated with uh, past traffic violations that, uh, that we've had. And uh, this settlement allows for a hearing now for all of those individuals to go back to court to establish uh, their inability to pay and to obtain the uh, restorations of their uh, license. Uh, but starting, starting us back off, you mentioned at the, uh, at the conclusion of our first segment that, uh, that a, a, a typical example uh, of a person who is affected by this uh, settlement uh, was someone who owes seven, $800 uh, for, uh, uh, because of their inability. But just how costly are these uh, traffic uh, violations and why are they uh, so high? Uh, because typically you would uh, have a fine of 10, 15, or $20. Uh, how does it get to be magnified uh, to the point that a person will owe literally thousands of dollars uh, for these uh, past uh, violations? Uh, well, the typical cost of these um, fines really do range from driver to driver based on their driving record. It ranges from county to county based on the judge that they are in front of. And um, it's not just a fine, it's, it's broken down into just fines, fees, and just general court costs. And it builds up because of, like I explained earlier, um, people tend to end up getting another ticket if they continue to drive for very important reasons. And with the buildup of those tickets is how that large sum accumulates. Now the, the, the court costs, uh... And I, I, and I think that most people don't recognize that the court costs are different than the fees or the fine that the judge will impose in a court case. And while the fine might be minor in terms of how large they are, the court costs in every case are very significant and can be in the neighborhood of $130, $140 per case uh, that, uh, that you have. So uh, the typical person who made up the class that you're dealing with, how often did they end up having to go back to court for additional uh, litigation flowing from uh, the violation that, uh, that, they, uh, uh, that they were involved in? Um. Most people went back about one to two times, but there's also people that generally only have that one ticket and they're still revoked from it, um, even if that ticket was back in 2018. So it really does range um, because although like that person that may have just one ticket with court costs, fines and fees, that still may be significant compared to their actual circumstance. And that's really just the main issue here is that everyone's circumstance is different. And that's why there should be a hearing on their ability to pay because while one person can easily afford a 300 or $400 total 
another person cannot. That'll be the difference between them and paying their portion of rent. And you know, as you were mentioning that there are some people who just have that one ticket, it still doesn't alleviate the stress associated with driving. You know, as you mentioned, you know, there are emergency situations if people have to get to work. And so, you know, when we think about the number of people who may have um, a suspended license who are still driving, they may not have, you know, been stopped again or, you know, suffered another ticket, but it doesn't mean that, you know, they are not feeling the stress and hardship associated with that license being suspended. Um, you, you also mentioned that, you know, public transportation. So there are some places in the country where, you know, you don't need a car, quite frankly. Um, and in fact, you probably wouldn't want a car. That's not the case here in North Carolina. Uh, can you just expand upon the lack of public transportation in this state that really exacerbates this problem? Right. So depending on where you are in North Carolina, um, public transportation really varies on its availability and how often it comes to your closest location. Some people live like too far. They have to like walk on foot to get to the closest bus stop. And um, I'm from I'm from up north, so I can see a great difference in the available public transportation, even even in popular areas where the bus may run frequently. Um, frequently here may mean once an hour and um, back where I'm from in Connecticut, you know, frequently means every 15 minutes. So you can miss a bus and still get somewhere on time versus here, you know, you have to you have to catch the bus at a specific time or you may wait an hour or two for the next one. And that's a substantial difference when you're trying to get to work on time. And the way the work climate is now, missing a bus can literally cost you your job. And, and that will be detrimental to you and your family. Now, the, the settlement that you entered here was with the uh, North Carolina Department of Motor Vision. Uh, what prompted them to want to uh, settle uh, the case? Well, I guess the preliminary question is how long did this litigation go on? And then what finally prompted uh, the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles to uh, uh, decide to settle the case? Um, well, this has gone on for quite some time. As you guys previously noted, this was filed in 2018, and we're just getting a final settlement now in 2022. And um, well, what prompted a settlement is ultimately, I believe that the DMV's um, representation also recognized that the notices could be better in that people do need to hear about their right to this hearing. So in the end, um, ourselves and our um, the other organizations we have worked with collaborated with the DMV to this settlement and find some common ground so that way North Carolinians cannot go, you know, we don't go further for more years trying to really debate this in court when we really, all of us agree that we want the message out to all North Carolina drivers that they have this right to hearing. We want to get people back on the road and get their licenses um, reinstated. And so with that agreement is how we've come to collaborate on this settlement. 
Uh, well, this question may be a little bit out of your out of your lane, uh, because the uh, settlement that uh, that you're dealing with here involves uh, an administrative procedure, where the person who has lost their license will appear before the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles to make a uh, plea and provide uh, evidence that uh, they were unable to pay. My question, though, goes uh, to the front end of this uh, process. And why can't the uh, judge that is presiding in traffic court make the determination that a person is uh, unable to uh, pay the, uh, the uh, court costs and the fines in this instance and then relieve uh, that person on the front end of that uh, liability and responsibility to pay? Um, well, the first part of your question, um... The DMV will help get this information to drivers regarding their right to this hearing and, and also directing them to a website that they are funding that will explain how to go about getting this hearing and what motion to file. But um, the drivers will take that motion and file it in the court, I mean, in the county that their traffic fine originated from. So they will file with the court. And then at that point, um, the court will schedule them a hearing in front of a judge from that county. And that judge will make the determination on their ability to pay and will decide whether to grant some sort of relief or not. Okay, so I, I, miss, I misstated then the, uh, some of the provisions of the uh, settlement. I was under the impression that uh, this was an administrative uh, decision that was to be made by the Department of Motor Vehicles, rather than having the uh, motion filed in uh, in court uh, with the uh, presiding judge making that uh, determination. Uh, but is there a provision, though, for a person once they have uh, been found guilty of a traffic violation to simply uh, make an appeal to the uh, judge to uh, uh, relieve them? of the uh, responsibility of paying the uh, court costs? Um, that is not enforced or established now. That is something that we are interested in. Uh, we do believe that that would be a major step in ending poverty-based punishment if that hearing was automatic after a determination of guilt. Um, but that is not what's in practice now in North Carolina, of course. So for right now, our guess, our first step is letting the public know that they can request this hearing and um, just getting that started in general. Um, some people may know about it, but it's not, it's not like most people do not know. And that's the major issue right for right now. But it would be ideal if people didn't have to file and request this hearing. It would be very ideal if it was automatic. And that raises a question about being represented, right? And so um, when we think about the number of people who hire an attorney to handle a traffic ticket and the number of people who attend or participate pro se, uh, that kind of provides a, you know, if you're representing yourself, there's a barrier to information. Do you have any, any thoughts on the percentage of people, particularly in this group who don't have the money for, you know, the the fines and fees, um, what percentage of them are represented by counsel? And if that has played a role 
and them not being aware of the opportunity for these types of hearings? Um, I do not have a percentage on hand for that information, but I do know that there, there is a large amount of people that, you know, they were pro se. They simply just went, handled the ticket and left with a judgment, not knowing that there were questions that they could have asked and um, hearings that they could have requested. So we know that that is an issue with a lot of people, but I do not have the percentage on hand. And even with being represented or not, sometimes people's circumstances have changed. Maybe they did have the intention to easily pay a ticket, but with life going on, sometimes you lose your job or other life events occur and now you can no longer pay. So you wouldn't have thought in advance to ask for some sort of relief. Yeah, and then I guess uh, people were uh, at the beginning of this uh, pandemic. Uh, a lot of people uh, lost their uh, jobs or were uh, furloughed from their jobs and were unable to uh, earn money. Uh, and then the uh, requirement then that you take care of uh, home uh, before you take care of the state uh, became a uh, paramount uh, uh, concern. So I can definitely see how that. Uh, that, uh, that that multiplied. Now, is the ACLU planning to do any educational outreach program into communities to help them to understand uh, the uh, impact and the, uh, of this settlement and the procedures necessary to get relief, or is this something that is going to be left entirely to the uh, Department of uh, Motor Vehicles to uh, educate people about? Um, well, I'll address our short-term plan, which is um, making sure that the DMV complies with the settlement agreement because built into that agreement are steps that will naturally educate the public. So um, first is to revamp the current notice to now include more information about the hearing and their right. Um, I, I believe previously it was just a statute stated, but typically most people don't look up a statute or they may look it up and then they do not understand. So now it's, it's simply put, it's, it's very um, clear in the new notices that will go out. In the special notice that will address drivers from um, March 2015 on forward, letting them know about this, this right to a hearing. And then the DMV also is, supplying the funds for a, a resource website. Um, that website is resolvetrafficdebtnc.org and it is monitored by the North Carolina Justice Center. And essentially this website will provide information and resources for people who are impacted. So now there's a public website that people can refer to and it will be able to answer most questions and provide information on how to get the motion and other information and resources that are needed for people in these scenarios. Also, the DMV will post the notices in their offices and also place the agreements and make them available. And the North Carolina courts will also post this information too. So with the settlement, we have built-in steps to try to get this information out um, and we're going to hold the DMV to this agreement. And it seems that they are very much just as interested in getting this information out as we are. So that's our first um, short-term way of making sure that this information is available. 
All right, you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking with Michelle Delgado, who is a staff attorney for the ACLU of North Carolina. And we're talking this hour about a recent settlement of a class action lawsuit against the state of North Carolina that will allow thousands of North Carolina drivers an opportunity to seek restoration of their suspended licenses. We're gonna take a quick break. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight event. In collaboration with the North Carolina Pro Bono Resource Center, NCCU School of Law will host a driver's license restoration clinic to draft advice letters for people with suspended licenses based on their inability to pay. This clinic is directly related to today's broadcast as it will help those who have lost their license because of their inability to pay begin their journey to driver's license restoration. This event is free of charge and will be held virtually on Friday, April 1st at 2 p.m. If you or someone you know would benefit from this clinic, we'd like to encourage you to join us. For more information, visit law.nccu.edu forward slash clinics forward slash pro dash bono dash program forward slash. Again, my name is Caitlin Chesney, and this is your Community Spotlight. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson, and my co-host, Irving Joyner, and I have been talking with NCCU Law alum, Michelle Delgado, who is a staff attorney with the ACLU of North Carolina. And this hour, we've been talking about a recent settlement of a class action lawsuit against the state of North Carolina that will allow thousands of North Carolina drivers an opportunity to seek restoration of their suspended licenses. Now, Attorney Delgado, you mentioned the procedure that individuals can go through if they had their licenses suspended. Can you first talk a little bit about the difference between having your license suspended and having your license revoked? And if that is significant in terms of getting your license restored? Um, the difference between suspended and revoked I would say it varies from what the actual reason behind it is, but typically with revoke, you just you're not able to receive a license until probably a certain time frame has passed that's been established or certain conditions are met with suspended. In these scenarios, when people have failed to pay a fine or related court costs, your license is typically suspended indefinitely. And just what that means is that. For right now, you can your license is not active and until you have resolved the underlying debt or reason for suspension. And I, and I think and and um, Irv, you may know off the top um, of your head, but if you continue to drive on a suspended license, that ultimately your license may be permanently revoked, which then can require the paying of additional monies to get it restored. 
Yeah, the, the revocation is, uh, is more significant uh, than is the, uh, the suspension. And if you are driving on a, with a suspended license uh, repeatedly, then you run into the revocation uh, part where your license are then uh, just taken away uh, and can't be summarily uh, returned to a person and run the possibility of, uh, of uh, incarceration uh, as well for a person who is driving without uh, while their license uh, has been uh, revoked. Uh, so, and, and the North Carolina law uh, requires that in order to drive that you must be a licensed driver and that those, that license is current. And if it's not current, then it's the same as driving without a license, which is a jailable offense. And when we think about insurance, so Ooh. if you don't have a valid license, right, and um, you're in an accident, uh, no insurance, so you've got uninsured drivers, uh, Attorney Delgado, can you talk about, well, actually, I, I, if you could comment on that in conjunction with the point that you made about everyone being on the same page. So the state of North Carolina, the DMV, uh, these advocacy groups, everyone understands that, that we need to address this problem. Can you just talk a little bit about the policy um, implications and, and why it is that we want more people licensed and, and does insurance tie into that in any way? Well, from what I've seen, um, insurance does tie into this issue of um, increased debt for our drivers. Um, when you receive a ticket, you also typically receive um, points towards your um, in driving insurance, which means that your premiums will go up. And now your you and your family's income is going towards even more driving related issues. Now you gotta pay higher insurance um, the next time you renew and things of that nature. And if you are caught up in getting multiple tickets and ultimately being revoked, that's even more points towards your insurance. That's what I've seen. And it does create such a hardship for North Carolina drivers. Well, you know, and, and that's an excellent point uh, that, uh, that that you raised that we had not uh, presented in the uh, discussion because the uh, insurance rate can go up as, as high as three or four times of what it is for the so-called safe driver. And uh, that is not an insignificant cost. And that is over and above everything that you owe for the, uh, for the uh, traffic violation uh, itself. So not only are you dealing with now satisfying the state, but now you have these uh, uh, skyrocketing uh, insurance uh, rates that you have to satisfy, or you're in a position where you can't get into the pool, where you are uninsurable uh, in the eyesight of the uh, insurance company. And then uh, you, you you can't own a car because you have to have it insured to be on the uh, on the road. And uh, so the, the, the problems that uh, you encounter are exacerbated significantly when you in, add in of the insurance piece on it, which is something that is over and above the uh, settlement that Attorney Delgado and ACLU uh, were able to uh, obtain. Now, Attorney Delgado, so 
There are, as you noted, there will be a special notice that will be sent to about 150,000 people uh, who have been identified as individuals who may be able to get their licenses restored. Um, will everyone who you know, makes the request and have the hearing, will everyone be able to get their license restored? What's anticipated as far as that process? Um, well, it's not a guarantee that everyone will get their license restored. Um, there's multiple, multiple factors that go into it. While there's special notices going out, well, first things first is that people have moved in the time that they've been revoked since 2015. So the DMV will have to use the most recent information that they have. And typically drivers, once they um, are revoked for failure to pay fine, most, most people don't tend to update their address with the DMV. So we're going off the information that, that, they, that we have here, and hopefully we'll re reach as many of those drivers that is intended to reach. And then moving forward, now those drivers have filed a motion, they're in court, they're trying to explain to the court you know, their financial circumstance. That determination is solely up to that preceding judge, um, presiding judge. The judge has, you know, to determine whether is it really an inability to pay or did the person just choose not to pay? And that's that's their determination. And if they do decide that a driver just does not have the ability to pay, there's a variety of different remedies that the judge can take. And um, one of those remedies is that a judge can just decide, okay, I'll just give you a payment plan or I may waive some of these fines, but not the whole fine. There's a variety of remedies that the judge can take. So um, some people may get some sort of relief, but find it to not be enough and still not be able to pay. And now they're not reinstated. Or some people may not receive the relief they are asking for at all. And they still have that, that outstanding fine. So it's not guaranteed. Um, I believe what's important here was just educating people of their right to this hearing. That's, that was the main focus of the settlement agreement was getting the information out and educating the public on this right. Well, for members of the public who fall into this uh, uh, category, will they need a, an attorney to uh, intercede on their behalf? Or is this something that the uh, individual can do on their own? This is something that they can do on your own. Of course, in any scenario in life, you can always hire an attorney. It never hurts. But I'm going to assume that with all these outstanding fines, most people probably can't afford an attorney. And it's okay to go ahead and file this motion and represent yourself. Um, I, would, I would recommend just um, making sure that you're prepared to explain your financial circumstance to the court. Well, if a person is unable to hire an attorney, is, is the ACLU in a position to uh, provide uh, representation for them? Um, we're not currently in a position to represent the thousands of drivers that may need some assistance. Um, but what we're, what we're hopeful is that with that website, resolvetrafficdebtnc.org, um, hopefully, with the information and resource provided that some organizations will be listed that can offer their assistance to drivers. That's our, that's our hope. And um, we'll be checking in, in on that website to see if that is added. Um, 
but I, there are organizations that do help people with this issue. So um, if, if drivers believe they really would like a representation, they can try reaching out to different organizations to see if they will help them. Well, I know we have a clinic, don't we, uh, Dean Dalton, uh, uh, that works with fines and restorations and things like that. And uh, they might be able to uh, join in uh, that, uh, that effort, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And I'm sure there are a number of law schools in the state that will, um, even if it's just a special kind of project that they take on, um, which raises a question, when can individuals begin requesting these restoration hearings from past suspensions? And as you noted, Attorney Delgado, as individuals go to court, um, they're able to request these hearings and we're hoping that that folks are aware of that. So there's gonna be an, a significant increase of these types of hearings. Are the courts prepared? So the courts are aware that there may be an increase in these requests and it will really deter- be determined by each county how they would like to handle that. Um, some, some counties may pick specific dates where these hearings are held or certain times of the day where these hearings are held. Their scheduling is completely up to them. Um, But as far as drivers, you have always had this right to request this hearing. So you can start requesting today, tomorrow, pretty much when you would like to request, you can request. There's not a set time when you can start doing that because it's always been your right. It's just now more people are aware of it. And was it always the case that people could retroactively go back and request a hearing for a suspension that occurred, you know, years before? Yes. But all of the people who are eligible are ones without, currently without license, rather than people who had had to uncover, undergo some uh, difficulty uh, to actually pay. The, uh, these fines in the pain? Well, it applies to people who have already been revoked for this issue, but also too, there's people currently right now that have an outstanding fine that they have not quite received the notice of, you know, hey, your license will be revoked if you do not pay this fine. You know, those notices are coming in every day. And so those future potential revoked drivers are also being aware that they have that right and they can go ahead and request it now prior to revocation. And I think you mentioned that's the one of the things that DMV agreed to do in terms of those notices that they get, that it will have, you know, specific information, not just a statute, um, which, you know, seems very obvious. And I, I guess this goes back to the question that I asked you earlier, which is, you know, why it took so long. And as you were describing the notice and the notice, you know, cites a statute, you know, it doesn't provide vital information that could easily be included within that notice. Um, Do you know when those new notices will start going out? Um, The the notices are are to be out within 60 days of the court's order. The court's order was, um, came out on March 2nd. So 60 days out from that date, it should should be when the notices are officially out to the public. Um, as far as like how the DMV will go about it, I believe they, they are considering 
sending them out in waves. So, you know, one like one group receives the notices this week and then next week. Um, it's up to the DMV how they want to get those notices out, but they have 60 days to do that. And are those the special notices or the notices for people who currently are in the process of or are or, or are in danger of having their license suspended for failure to pay? It's for both the new revised notice as well as the special notice that goes out to past revoked drivers. Let me just ask, is this uh, legal services that might be provided by uh, the public defender's office in various uh, counties where there are public defender's offices set up? Um, I'm not sure if there's a blanket policy for all public defender's offices. I know that when I work in Durham County's public defender's office, we took it upon ourselves to try to request um, those hearings or address our client's ability to pay in advance of judgment and just let the court know our client's um, financial ability to pay and go and, and request the judge to waive or remit fines before judgment. So that was our own practice. And we also went ahead and anytime we had a client, we would address all of their outstanding fines and tickets that were in our county. Of course, we couldn't address um, fines in other counties, but anything that was in Durham County, we would go ahead and try to speak with the court about and come, come up with some resolution for our clients. So that was our own practice. I believe all public defenders offices have their own policies and practice on how to address traffic tickets. Yeah, because it just seems to me that uh, those attorneys who have been working with the court in the past, obtaining this relief for uh, clients are in a better position uh, to uh, handle that going forward, rather than have a new kid off the block uh, to uh, come in and tackle uh, something that might be complicated uh, for them uh, to do where those personal relationships aren't set up uh, with the judge in that uh, particular county. And, you know, that raises a, another, you know, very good point, which is if you have tickets in different counties, you're going to have to request a hearing in each of those counties. And that, you know, and again, when we're talking about driving, right, if you live in one county, mm -hmm. but you got a ticket in another county, how do you even get to that other county, right? And, and you know, again, yes, we've got friends and family, but, you know, folks are, are working and uh, it can be really challenging even resolving this issue without having access to transportation. So it just kind of underscores how important this, um, this issue is. Wow. Yeah, and, 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 and we certainly want to thank uh, the ACLU uh, for having the uh, foresight uh, to get involved and to uh, engage in this uh, challenge because of the uh, large number of people who are impacted directly and indirectly uh, by this uh, particular uh, issue. So uh, we're, we're just thankful for the existence of the uh, ACLU and all of the work that uh, uh, Attorney Delgado and members of that uh, staff uh, are doing on behalf of uh, our population. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And we also want to thank the court for approving this settlement and understanding you know, the flight of our class representatives and members and what they are going through. So thank you to the court. 
And Attorney Delgado, we've got about a, a minute left. Could you, uh, you've mentioned the website before for folks who are listening to this show and, and maybe they're, you know, saying themselves, oh, I've got this issue, uh, or they've got friends and family who are in this situation. Can you again point them to the resources, uh, places where they can go to get information to make sure that they're able to avail themselves of this, this opportunity? Right. So the website is not um, fully complete. There's still information that we believe will be helpful to the public. Um, so continue to keep checking the website for updates. But right now the website is resolvetrafficdebtnc.org. Excellent. And does the ACLU have information on its website about this? Um, I believe that we may have a press release on our website redirecting folks to this website because um, this is the website that came out of the settlement that was funded by the DMV. We wanted to get everyone directed to that website. Perfect. Well, yes, thank you again for all the hard work that, that you and your team uh, have done on this very important issue. And thank you as well for coming back. Um, it's nice having our uh, esteemed lawyers come back to the nest. So we thank would, you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've been talking this hour with Michelle Delgado. She is a staff attorney with the ACLU of North Carolina. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleagoreview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.